Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Okay, so what I'd like to do is um, talk to you about prayer, and I love the bumper. Um, I'm not going to give you the way. Um, I really want to encourage all of us and our spiritual maturity on where we go with prayer, and I've I got some examples that I hope will be helpful. Um, my third point will be on intercession, and I actually have a team of intercessors who pray for me. Uh, most of them are local. One is actually in El Paso, Texas, and they actually fed me what they feel they were receiving from the Lord, consider these topics, which was amazingly spot on, and I'm very grateful for that, and particularly one of the examples they suggested that I should mention and so I'm hoping this will encourage you. This is not meant in any way to be condemning. This is to encourage all of us. All of us want to get to the next level. So I just want to say that sort of as a disclaimer, that this is to move us forward. This is not to be uh, a critique or judgmental or to bring any condemnation. And we know that from the scripture, for those of you who understand that, that God does not condemn us. It's everything to motivate. So if you would put the, the first scripture up on the screen... What I want to do, number one, is talk to you about who God is and why we should actually pray to him. So if you take a look at the verse, if you can bring that up, I have it here also. This is in Psalm 107. It says, he changes rivers into a wilderness. Automatically, you get the idea that God is a God of change. Now, he doesn't change, but he changes everything else. And springs of water into a thirsty ground. A fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Now this is the negative side. But then he changes wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. So if you consider this, there's a change that happened as all of a sudden now what was bad is now becoming good. So if we continue on in verse 41. We're going to skip a few verses. If you go to 41, this is the part that I think is really compelling, and I'm going to fall back to this. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. Okay, so I want you to consider that. And then next one. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. So I'm going to touch back on that. He who is wise, there's a, we, in, in medicine we say a clinical pearl. It's a nugget of truth that can help our residents get to the next level. We don't want them to make, stakes, make mistakes on patients. So this is a, a pearl of truth that I want to share with you. Now, a scripture that's a little bit more that talks about the awesome nature of who God is, again, why do we pray to God? Well, he's the God who can change. But Psalm 19 paints a little bit more dramatic picture, and it talks about who he is. So let's go to Psalm 19, and it describes that essentially that all of creation is speaking about who God is. In other words, the person who may be in the remotest areas of the world who doesn't speak our language the language of the creation is testifying that there is a creator. There is no language where their voice is not heard. So that's Psalm 19. So 
with that as a background of who our creator is, then it makes sense the reason we would pray to the creator is because he's the creator. We would want to hang out, this is intuitive, we should hang out with the one who creates. So as a, a little deeper dive from my world as a physician, I'm going to give an example of something happened to me, and then I was so grateful for the physiology of the human body. Um, I am a cyclist, and I uh, sometimes get a little bit uh, too aggressive in my cycling. And in August of 2015, I was with a group of eight, and it was a training ride, and I wrecked. And uh, it was my fault. I uh, broke a bone in my hand. I had to have surgery, uh, a gra bone graft, a plate, four screws, a, broke on, a wrist bone, bone, also broke two ribs. And of course, as soon as you wreck and everybody realizes you're, you're not dead, that everybody gets their phone out and they got to take a picture of your road rash. And so my cycling pants had a hole, and there's a hole here, and uh, I had a pretty impressive road rash. And I was bleeding, but was interesting, within about five minutes, everything dried up. And I contemplated that I've taken care of patient, patients who had too much clotting or too little. You have too much, you can have a clot, a deep vein thrombosis, maybe a stroke, myocardial infarction. You have too little, there's bleeding problems. And I was very grateful that my body seemed to be functioning perfectly, at least in terms of clotting. There's a very interesting book that was published in 1995 by Michael Behe. He's a biochemist. And some of you may be familiar with his book. It's called Darwin's Black Box. And uh, this is a book about intelligent design. And Darwin's Black Box, it's the secret, okay? It's the secret of why evolutionary thinking of random assortment coming to everything we have here doesn't work because what Darwin didn't know when he wrote the books, he had no idea because the science hadn't progressed to the cellular level of what's called biochemistry and he had no idea of mathematical probability. So the black box is actually what God created, okay, it's science, irrefutable, mathematical principles and biochemistry. Give me an example. So I wrecked and I'm bleeding and in studying this, there are over 40 clotting factors involved just that my body would clot appropriately or not be too or, or not too much. One of the proteins that Michael Behe talks about is something called tissue plasminogen. And so I've had my biostatisticians take a look at this and see if these numbers are correct and also looking at talking to my genetic experts. So if you take a typical animal, now he uses this because it's a little easier for calculation. We as humans are more complex than a rat. So a typical animal has 10,000 genes. These are animals who clot, and each gene has about three pieces. And just one of the 40 factors needed for proper clotting is called tissue plasminogen. It has four domains. So if you take 30,000 to the fourth power, okay, that's the likelihood of those four domains coming together through evolution to random assortment. To put it another way, that's about one-tenth to the 18th power. So if you, what are the chances of winning the Irish sweepstakes? If one million people played the Irish sweepstakes on a yearly basis, it would take 1,000 billion years for anybody to win the sweepstakes. Now, if you think that t tissue plasma is just one of the factors, and you have to have all these others have to work in concert, but they had to appear at the same time at the right quantity, at the right speed, at the right amount, so that you don't have too much clotting or too little, so now we understand why the biochemist, Michael Behe, says, well, the Earth evolutionary theory, we do not have enough time for it to have even the possibility of getting it right. 
So I just want to propose to you that if you think of Psalm 107 and Psalm 19, those are just few scriptures to talk about. Why do we pray to God? He created everything. Now, what is the pearl nugget of he who has wisdom? In Psalm 107, 41, it says, the one who is needy. So I want to propose to you the first point I want to make is we pray to God because he's a creator and we need him because regardless if we have a mountaintop experience, okay, so if there's some people here who just got engaged, you are in a mountaintop experience. Let's say you won the Irish sweepstakes, okay? Let's say that you got an A on the test that you've never had a C on, you got your job, or your son came home and said, Mom, I repent for what I did. That's what you dream for. And you're in the mountaintop. Guess what? Compared to Creator, we're so, he's so infinitely above us that we still have our need for God. So I want to start, number one, I think a clinical pearl for prayer is we pray to God to recognize who he is, but number two, it doesn't matter where we are, we have a need. Okay, my second point, we'll bring this a little more in focus. Every uh, work day and school day, my wife, Joy, and the kids pray for me, and it's something like this. Dear God, would you please give Daddy wisdom? Would you help him today and give him knowledge? And would you have your way with that? That's a good prayer. And so on my part, I go to our chapel every morning, and it's simply the same thing. Father, would you give me wisdom today? Um, I frequently have my Blackberry and have my agenda of all the meetings, and these are the things I have to do. And Lord, would you just give me wisdom today? I just need to do the right thing, and let me do what you want to do. So that's how it starts. So I'll give you an example. The commander of my hospital calls me because a general officer, now Fort Bragg, has more general officers than anybody but the Pentagon. So we're called the Pentagon South. We have over 30 general officers at Fort Bragg. We have 55,000 soldiers, so it's a huge post. And he said, Sammy, there's a General Smith, we'll call him, uh, has had fever for three days, and their clinicians, their unit doctors, want to admit him to Walmart to help sort out why he has a fever. So the commander called me, and I said, yes, sir. And... I don't know how long I was going to pray, but all, I remember specifically, I said, Father, would you give me wisdom for General Smith to help him? And soon as I prayed that, a word popped in my mind, ehrlichiosis. Ehrlichiosis is a fever disease brought on by ticks. And as soon as that happened, I quit praying. I immediately went to a reputable medical source. So I look it up, and I spend about 10 minutes and say, okay, that's how they present the age group, geographic region. This is the physical exam would look like. This is what laboratory tests would be typical for this condition, and this is how you treat. And so then I went upstairs, hi, General Smith, introduced myself, and um, I took his history, did his exam. He already had some laboratory work available before he was admitted. It was the textbook case example of what ehrlichiosis should be. Now, let me pose to you, this is, this is uh, I think, an important point. I am trained, I've seen ehrlichiosis before. It would be very easy for someone like me to just to go up there because this is fever. I know how to evaluate fever. If I don't know, I can call, uh, let's say, my friend David, who's a physician, or I have an infectious disease expert over here, or I can call to University of North Carolina or Chapel Hill, Duke. You know, I, I have a network of people that any time I can call 24-7. So the point is, did I know what to do or not know what to do? The point is that because of my family and others, an environment, this prayerful attitude created, and here's the second point, a prayerful attitude creates the benefit 
of John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. It postures us like in the first point that I'm needy for God and I'm always recognizing need, even though I know exactly what to do, it creates an environment that I recognize my need, therefore I'm able to hear from God. So as an example would be, let's say that um, I feel like that I know how to fix the plumbing in my house, which I really don't. But let's say I did, then I have a plumber, Daniel, who's our plumber. He, he'll come over, and he's great. He'll come over anytime. He gives us a priority. We're very blessed with that. And, you know, I hear Daniel's voice. Yeah, he comes, talks to me. Sam, this what you do. Got it. Go ahead. I trust him. But if I don't give an opportunity for Daniel to speak to me, he can speak all he wants. It's like my Blackberry right now is on silent. I am not going to hear him calling. So a prayerful attitude creates an environment where what can happen? I can hear from God. Okay, so that's the first example of ehrlichiosis. So I want to give you the, a second example of a patient who was supposed to die. He is 68 years old. He was admitted to the intensive care unit. Now, before he's admitted, he had already been, had about 15 years of alcoholism. He left his wife and was gone for about 10 years. He came back on death's door, and he, to have survived a year beyond that was amazing. So now he develops an infection of his bladder. He comes in in something called septic shock. His blood pressure's down. He's barely breathing. But it was already determined because he was a, not a liver transplant candidate. There is no cure for his condition. So he was given palliative care. Everything we did was to support him. So he's not going to be intubated. He's not going to be resuscitated. He was only in the ICU to treat his sepsis. And as soon as he was stable, he was going to be transferred. Four days later, he was transferred to my floor. He never woke up from that. He's comatose. He's severely jaundiced. The nurses in the ICU call the nurses on the floor and say, Mr. Jones is being transferred over. The ICU attending calls me because I'm the head of the medicine service for which he was transferred to and say, hey, Sammy, I've got such and such. I said, okay. So I go to the floor and I meet his wife. And the first thing I say is, can I pray for you? Now, I want you to catch something here. This is an aside. The prayerful attitude actually did not give me ehrlichiosis. Did not, that did, but it didn't give me pray. Praying, saying, I want to pray for you, had nothing to do with God giving me a, a, a word of knowledge or this epiphany, I should pray. You know what that was? It's going back to Psalm 1, Psalm, or Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says, the heavens and the earth are screaming about God. There's no language not heard, but all of us don't hear that. So in someone's time of need, for me is when someone's in, a patient, in the hospital, but you all see every day someone in time of need. In that time of need, all the distractions are temporarily removed and they're back in the same place where all of nature is screaming. There is a creator. That time of need is the greatest place where people can be receptive to hear what God has to say. Number one, to recognize the creator. And then after that is what? To recognize, oh yes, there is only one savior whose name is Jesus Christ. So the reason I asked her, do you want me to pray? Was, or can I pray for? Is not a word of knowledge. It was that was just a thing to do because this is a person in need. In other words, anybody could have figured that out, that they had a need. Well, as soon as I said that, her eyes lit, eyes lit up and said, oh, yes, please. So I knew she was a believer. So we prayed. And walking out to the nursing station, again, this person is, we're trying to arrange palliative care. And I said to the nurse, I said, Lieutenant, would you please page me tonight when he wakes up? 
Now, he had this look like, why did you do that? I know that he's comatose for four days. I know he's palliative care. He's not gonna, we're preparing for his death. You just gave false hope. Compassionate nurse, Choi gives false hope to a patient. We don't do that. That's not compassionate care. But she was smiling. Now, for any of you in the medical field, if you're nurses, I took it to the next level. I actually did an order entry, which is saved forever. It says, page Dr. Choi when he wakes up. That's pretty audacious. Just as an aside, one of the things I've learned about um, a prayerful lifestyle, if you have people praying for you, and at least, if nothing else, at the beginning of the day, just to commit, God, okay, you're the creator, so you're in charge, I need you, then as long as what I'm doing is not illegal, immoral, and ethical, I'm just going to go for it. So there's nothing illegal, immoral, and ethical about writing a note or order saying, page me and he awakens. So I go home, 11.30. Now, I wish you could... I wish I had that tape of the voice of the nurse. And he says, um, didn't even tell me who it was. He said, he's awake. So I go to the hospital. I get there. So I'll be there in 15 minutes. So 11.45, remember the time well that I get there in the hospital. I walk in. As soon as I walk in, she says, Dr. Choi, do what you have to do. And she leaves, the wife. Now, when I walked in, he's sitting up in bed. He's breathing normally. I hadn't seen that white of his eyes because they were closed. He's going, his eyes were open. Uh, he didn't have white eyes. He had yellow, green, sickly, jaundice. Okay, this is the dying man. And I spend about the better part of an hour talking to him, and he accepts the Lord. I leave. Wife comes in. And as soon as she sees him, she starts rejoicing and praising God for about five minutes. And I bring her back to earth, and I say, now, wait a minute. You need to prove to yourself that this is the real deal. And David, I have to tell you, more eloquently than I could give the gospel message, probably more theologically sound, she went from the beginning to the end, and it amazingly started with, I just call him Mr. Jones. She called him by his last name, Jones. Do you believe God's the creator? Do you really believe it? And went through the whole thing, and she really got to the punchline. No, not is Jesus a way. Is he the only way? And why is the only? Do you really believe you're dying and you need a savior? Do you really need that? Do you really believe that you you need a savior? He said yes. So then we rejoiced a little bit. I left, and she told me later that 15 minutes later he said, "I'm tired. I need to rest." And he closed his eyes. At 5:30 in the morning, I get paged, and I didn't ask for this. And a different nurse now is on and said, Dr. Choi, Mr. Jones has passed. A week later at the funeral, and I go to some funerals, I have to say not only was this one of the most joyful funerals, I would have to say this was a, one of the most joyful events that I've ever been to because it turns out the entire family for the 10 years he was gone and the one year he's back at home were praying for salvation to come to him. So the second point of a prayerful attitude it's not so much prayer itself, but a prayerful attitude creates a situation where John 10, 27 can be realized where it says, my sheep hear my voice. God has never stopped talking. You know, he's on the throne. I think we realize he has not abdicated. Um, whether we go to sleep or not, he didn't wake up in the morning concerned because we were concerned. He's not fretting, and he didn't call all his angels saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about the elections, okay? He, he didn't say that. He already knows what's going to happen. 
And he's looking to and fro for people who are going to partner with me and do what we need to do. Okay, I'm not going to talk about that, but 1 Timothy 2, first of all, pray for your leaders. So it doesn't, to me, it really, and it shouldn't, it doesn't matter who's in charge, because I'm going to pray for them. So that's the prayer at the benefits as we hear from God. Okay, the third point is I want to talk about intercession. Now, intercession is, is almost like a, uh, a four-letter word. It it's, can be intimidating. It can be maybe discouraging, and I don't mean for that to happen. In the Greek, intercede, intercede has too many. It literally means to bend over. So the idea is that I'm taking the burden of someone else. So my back is bent over spiritually. I'm bent over but it has another meaning, which is to confer a benefit. So I'll give you an example. It may mean that I'm going to pray for another who does not have access to God. As an example, Mr. Jones, who was not saved, he wasn't even sure who God was, so how could he access the throne to pray for help for himself? So that's where Mrs. Jones and her family pray. Another example might be your senior pastor. So he knows how to access the throne, but the burden of responsibility has me be so great praying for the valley, for Roanoke Rapids, for Weldon, and all that's here. Sometimes it can be so weighed down. Others can feel that, and they're going to bear the burden to confer a benefit. In this case, it's not just to David. Who's it for? It's the community here. So that's intercession. So I'm going to introduce a concept a little bit different, and it's in John 10, if you would bring that up. In the first verse, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Okay, so we know who that thief and a robber is. Ultimately, it's the devil. Next verse. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And that shepherd is symbolic of Jesus Christ. Okay, now catch the third verse. To him... The doorkeeper opens. So I want to ask you, who is the doorkeeper? At Fort Bragg, we have something called the Delta Force, and these commandos, they're actually known as door kickers. Now, I, I assume, I know they can kick down the doors, but I assume they have other technologies now and ballistics and demolition to get through, a, to breach a door. We call them breachers because they're supposed to breach a barrier, and so they're just called door kickers. So I want to give you an example of what I think a spiritual door kicker is. And I've already said it's a doorkeeper. In 1995, David uh, is aware of the projects we did at Campbell Terrace. The city mayor came to our church and said, I need help at a city housing project called Campbell Terrace, built in the 1950s. It had become a haven of murder, rape, and not just drug addiction, because there wasn't that much drug addiction there, but actually drug dealing. The I-95 corridor from Florida up to New York, just for many reasons, it just stopped in Fayetteville for a lot of reasons, and that was a haven for drug dealing. Essentially, the mayor, not knowing what he's asking, asked us, there are no, no doorkeepers at Campbell Terrace. Long and short of all this, well, two of us decided that we would go to Campbell Terrace. Now, this is summer of 1995. If you were going to go to Campbell Terrace and we were asked to commit one hour a week for three months, that was it. Just do that and see what happens. What are you going to do? Just walk and pray. Don't do anything else. Just walk and pray. So if you're going to go to Campbell Terrace, a haven for murder, rape, and drug dealings, and, of course, the gang activities there, 
when, when would you go? Well, I have to tell you, I was a little bit afraid of that. So my partner and I, we chose what we thought was the safest time, which is 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. I mean, who will be awake? And there's no one awake at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. So after two months, we decided let's do it twice a week. After three months, we felt like it was home. Now, it wasn't all easy because about five months into it, we had two people, because of the color of their skin, being African-American, were murdered by three white neo-Nazi skinheads who were actually military soldiers. Some of you may remember this, December of 1995. It's national news. CNN came, and it brought a picture of our area that we did not intend. Let's fast forward to 18 months later now of every week, at least once a week for 30 minutes, me and then my partner left, um, so we, I got another partner. We were there every, every week for at least an hour, if not two week, every, uh, twice a week. Now, December of 1996, 10.30 at night, I remember this, I'm in bed, Joy and I are, are getting ready to go to bed, and I say, Joy, this is the night. Now, by now, she has understood what this means, and she is a woman of faith. All she said was, be careful. So I call up my partner, and I call up a woman who some of you may know, Marion Graham, who is a lifetime missionary partner. She developed a prayer network in Romania. She's developing a prayer network in China. She's not part of our team, but I called her up, and she said, sure, I'm in. So we get in our van. Now it's 11.30 on Friday night. Remember, we were afraid to go even at 6 o'clock Saturday morning. Things are just coming to life at 11.30. Everybody's there. And we go to Campbell Terrace. And, you know, the thing back then was integrity music. David and Andrea were, you, you know, Hosanna. And we tried to find the most liveliest, energetic, which you just you couldn't find as much in, the, in that, that venue. But we found what we found, put it in, turned on the, the tape, Rode around with the windows down as loud as we can tolerate. Seven times we just drove around Campbell Terrace with this music. One week later, and we felt something happened. We didn't know what. One week later, my partner and I are sitting on the steps of the Neighborhood Resource Center. Now, remember I said being a doorkeeper? All during the time, we were just saying only Jesus could come in. And then we turned into actually a door kicker, and this is the first time we did this. Sitting on the steps, we said, I mean, this was a forceful prayer. We had full of confidence. In Jesus' name, this resource center will become a place to preach the gospel. In the name of, and nothing, and, you know, basically said, and hell cannot stop us. Little did we know, that month, December of 1996, a pastor's wife at Manna had gotten the burden to do a Sunday school club at Campbell Terrace. Usually it takes six months to get anything done, and don't even try to do something spiritual. That was December. By February of 1997, less than two months later, we had our first Campbell Terrace Kids Club. And the rest you actually can Google and read about of all the articles that appeared in the Fayetteville Observer and some in the national news about how that whole place was literally transformed. At another time, if you're in my area, I'll tell you about my encounters with gangs uh, in Campbell Terrace. It's pretty cool. So the third point is we are called to intercede for people who don't have a voice because they don't know how to access the Savior or they need hundreds of other voices to be loud enough to make 
a dent in the heavenly spheres. It's not that God can't hear. It's simply, this is the way God's ordained to carry out the process of the kingdom, and everybody benefits. Okay, so what I've talked about is we pray because we know who God is. He's the creator, and because we need to pray, regardless of where we're at. We pray, number two, because there are benefits. We get to hear God's voice. Number three, we pray because we're actually all called to intercede. In fact, the Bible says the one who bears another burden glorifies God and fulfills the law. So when we pray for other people who can't, it's actually fulfilling what God wants. And then the fourth point is how do we pray? Now, you all are familiar with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, and, and many of us have memorized it in the King James Version and starts off, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In reality, that was not really his prayer because he is not going to, that he would pray to the Father. Remember, he's God. He's God the Son. So this was the Lord's paradigm that teaches how to pray. There actually is, I believe, the Lord's Prayer, which is a tremendous model on how to pray. And before I talk about that, I want you to consider pray. In the Greek, pray literally means to wish or to exchange. To wish or to exchange. Now, if you think about in the Gospels, actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in Matthew 26, it talks about when Jesus is in the garden, and just before he's going to his crucifixion, but not just crucifixion, but to be eternally damned by God, right? To take the curse of all mankind. He suffered tremendous distress. In fact, Luke 22, Dr. Luke describes heme hydrosis. Heme, blood, hydrosis, sweat. Jesus was so in turmoil about his future that he sweated blood. So Matthew 26, if we'd bring that up, it talks about what happens in the garden. So this is actually the actual Lord's Prayer. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, heme hydrosis, Dr. Luke described that in Luke, to the point of death, remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So this Strong's Concordance does an eloquent job of describing what prayer is. So think prayer is to wish or to exchange. Put in context of Scripture, in Jesus' model, God, can I exchange? Will you exchange my wishes for your wishes? So let me give you an example. Let's say that you want to buy a brand new set of golf clubs. Okay, now, for the wives in the room who are opposed to your husband buying golf clubs, that golf club could be translated for anything else, okay? Yeah, you can put anything else you want there. But let's just say that the, the man, and it could be a woman, okay, but the husband doesn't, he knows that I really shouldn't buy this golf club. So watch how this works. Okay, God, I want to exchange my desires for your desires. And you want me to buy the golf club? And just by phrasing it that way, it creates an environment of what? John 10, 27, we can hear his voice. Okay, I'm not supposed to buy the golf. By the way, I don't play golf, okay? But I, I'm not going to buy those golf clubs. But watch what happens if we do the Lord's Prayer of exchanging our wishes for his on a regular basis. It could take days, weeks, sometimes months, okay? And, you know, Campbell Terrace, it took us 18 months before anything happened. And in the process, five months into it, we had two people get killed, okay? So, by the way, when do you stop praying? When God tells you to. And you'll know, and that's where we can talk to each other people. 
But the benefit of exchanging our wishes for God at first is, yeah, I still want it, but God, you say, I'm going to obey. So that's good. But what's really cool is after a period of time, God, what do you want about this? It's that we go kind of on a neutral surface. I think I want it, but I'm not sure what do you want. And then it's not that we have to go against what we want. Our wishes actually change. And we say, you know, Joy, you know, I, you know this golf club? I just, I don't know. What do you think? And what do you think? I just, I don't care. I don't want them. Okay. I guess God spoke. Watch what happened if all that we do, and this is my desire for Sammy Choi, is, you know, I'm almost 56 years old, so I don't have, I have less time on my planet, on this planet as before. I don't have time to make mistakes. But, you know, it's not really about making mistakes. It's I rather spend time doing what God wants. So can I exchange my wishes? So in closing, if I could pray for you and bless you, and I'm going to summarize some of these points and ask the Lord to speak to you, to call you to do things that he wants you to do, not what I want you to do. So, Father God, I thank you for Valley Community Church. And I declare that you, would, that you are, but you would also reveal through revelation that you are the creator. You really did put together tissue plasminogen. Beyond all hopes of probability, you did it. You are the creator. And that's why, regardless of this church and any experience that they have now, that we all need you. Father, I ask that they would have a prayerful lifestyle, that they could hear from you, John 10, 27. Lord, I ask that you would call them. Their Campbell Terrace may be their home, their business, their school. They all have a Campbell Terrace, that you have a place of intercession And then finally, number four, God, I just ask that all of us, that you would help us exchange our wishes for what you desire, and we receive the blessing of that in Jesus' name, amen.